in Japan during the last couple of years of World War II, the intelligentsia of Japan knew that they were going to lose the war long before the atom bombs were dropped. It was clear. But the media in Japan would not allow any messages or articles to that effect or any preparation for the Japanese people of what will happen after the war because all the propaganda was oriented toward we're going to win. Japan can't be beaten. We're invincible. And there was a Japanese philosopher, professor of philosophy named Tanabe Hajime, who was tormented by the fact that he could not express himself in public. His whole life was about truth and expressing the truth and serving the people. And he wanted to write articles and give lectures about how to deal with the trauma that Japan was going to face with the destruction of their empire and their way of life. And he was not allowed to say anything. And he became more and more anguished by this situation. And he didn't know what to do. What was the ethically correct response of a philosopher in a situation like this? He wanted to be loyal to the Japanese government and state at the same time. He wanted to be loyal to truth. And these were divided loyalties. And he couldn't solve the problem. No matter what he did, and he frantically, feverishly read every philosophical essay he could find on ethics and on how to deal with a problem like this, and he couldn't find it either in Western philosophy or in Eastern. There was no help to deal with this situation. And gradually he began to feel he was totally useless as a philosopher, he was a failure, he was a failure as a human being, and he had a complete meltdown. quit teaching and went into a a retreat. And in that state of utter internal collapse, something extraordinary happened to him. His consciousness was translated to a higher dimension. In Japan, they actually have a word for that called zange. It is when the mind is brought to a level of metanoetics, as it's called to a level of consciousness beyond the mind, beyond the realm of representation, beyond concepts. And in that state, he felt the presence of what he called the other power, the capital O, which he, uh, being Japanese and and in that culture, uh, named as Amida Buddha, the Buddha of infinite light and infinite life. And it was that. If he was Indian, he might have called it Shiva. If he was Christian, he might have called this Christ consciousness. It doesn't matter. But it was a a flow of divine energy through him in that state of collapse in which he was totally surrendered to this higher power that was now coming to him. And this power 
dictated to him an entire book called Philosophy as Metanoetics. It's one of the great modern philosophical uh, classics of Japan and of the world, which deals specifically with this problem that he faced, but also with other problems of how to deal with reality from this place of consciousness that is surrendered to the Absolute. And Hajime realized that he was only one of many uh, people who had reached God through a meltdown. It's actually a very popular method of attaining illumination. It's not that I recommend that, but if you're having a meltdown, go with it. But the real message of this story to me is that regardless of what state of consciousness you're in, you cannot reach the ultimate ground and source of empowerment and strength from the plane of the ego. You must be in a state of surrender. And that the real that will give you the strength to deal with impossibly difficult situations and challenges comes from a place beyond the mind. The answer is not going to come in some theoretical construct. That may be the consequence of the connection to the source. But it is only by going beyond this plane of representation that we're addicted to, to the absolute present in which we are the real self, not our idea of who we are, or other people's ideas of who we are or what we should be, no matter what that is. And for him, it was being a renowned philosopher, but it didn't help him in that moment of need. It was only that essential, non-conceptual self that was nothing at all. And he melted down into absolute nothingness. It was in that utter humility of not knowing anything and not being able to think anything that he opened to the supreme reality. And if you analyze many spiritual traditions, they actually create the similar conditions to those which Hajime went through in a natural way. In the Zen monasteries, in, in one sect, they give you a riddle, a koan to answer that is unanswerable until your mind reaches that state of exhaustion that it melts down and then finally the realization of the sound of no hand clapping comes to you again in a non-conceptual way. And in other traditions, whatever kind of meditative practice or other process is aimed to bring you to the state of inner silence, a state of inner presence to what is. And that presence is non-graspable by the conceptual mind. And only when we let go of our addiction to words and to trying to have a self-image and to be somebody in the world, because always that is a projection and an idea in our mind. It's not the real thing. It's only by letting go of that and entering the unknowable, the unknowable self. Whether that unknowable is conceived as the other, the great other, God, Buddha, whatever, or the one self, Brahman, or Atman, or Sat. It doesn't matter. Every culture gives its own narrative, its own terminologies, but ultimately there is no distinction between self and other, 
when one reaches that point of absolute emptiness. And that's the state when life really begins. It's the state for him that his true ability to philosophize began and to live an authentic life. And this is what historically all of the rites of passage have been about, to bring the infantile ego to a state of collapse so we could be reborn as the divine self. And this can be done voluntarily in a spiritual process of self-renewal, or it can be done involuntarily through karma. But it is our destiny, all of us, to reach this place of utter humility and emptiness. But we hold back our achievement of this because of our fear of the unknown and the unknowable. And only when we grasp that the unknowable that we are afraid of is our own self can we overcome the fear. It's not actually a cold, cruel world that we're afraid of. It's not the lack of understanding of what's going to happen in the future. It's not that. That's a projection of the fear of our own being. And so the ego mind is always in a state of running away from itself. And that's why meditation is difficult. The mind won't stop running away from our own source, our own heart, our own essence. And why? Because around that essence has grown a, a weed garden of anxiety, of fear, of terror. And then around that, defense mechanisms and security operations, the main one of which is the mind's perpetual self-blabber in order to avoid the presence of these unbearable feelings. But if we are willing to penetrate through that shadow, that dark night of the soul that is a layer of consciousness and enter into the essence of who we are, we will find the Buddha of infinite light. And that light will dissolve the shadow, will annihilate the weeds of negative consciousness and nihilism and terror and anguish and bring the divine love through to every level of being, including out into the world in the service of others. Because others will no longer be alienated potential enemies, but will be recognized as the self. But to do this, we must also give up our most cherished narratives of who we are and what our purpose is. And the ego is always motivated by fulfilling a very cherished narrative in which it pays off its symbolic debt to the ancestors. Whether that's the mother and father or the family tradition or the nation of Japan or whatever nation or culture or religion or ethnic group or whatever. But there's a debt that the ego is carrying on its shoulders and that debt is enforced by other members of the family as obligations and ethical demands and a sense of uh, uh, lack of entitlement to freedom and liberation. And we are crippled by these chains that are what give us self-esteem. The very thing that supports the ego prevents the realization of the divine being. This is the great paradox. And so it requires cutting through the golden handcuffs as well as the 
metal iron ones that are keeping us trapped in a very small consciousness and held in exile from the infinite light and love and light and life that we are. And so in meditation, we have to very ruthlessly surrender our most cherished sense of guilt and obligation and identity based on the achievement of the dharma of the ego, the horizontal dharma, in order to fulfill the vertical dharma of transcendence, of letting go, of dying to the very self that we have become proud of and that gives us a sense of goodness. And that's why it has always been said that God is beyond good and evil, beyond all dualities. And only in that absolute nothingness that is complete, total presence in the now, without any identity at all, good or bad, are we free to enter into that dimension that's beyond time and beyond suffering, beyond karma, into the spontaneous lila, the divine play, that is the true, essential meaning of this phenomenal plane. Not a place of struggle, karma, suffering, obligation, demand, but of spontaneous free play in the realization of our infinite emptiness. So if we can stay in the meditative state in this silence in which we are free of all designations, of all labels, of all signifiers, then that pure energy of the true and absolute self will pour through us and transform us and reveal the path that life wants to open to us toward the fulfillment, not only of the individual self, but of the self connected to all, that is, not only all other human selves, but to all of nature, to all of the cosmos, and to the creative source of that. And as we open to that, it will be given. And it's the faith in that, the opening of that inner portal to the transcendent dimension within of the divine that will bring the fulfillment of your own life. And from the emptiness, you will experience a fullness that you have never imagined possible. That is the promise of every spiritual tradition. But each of us must explore and discover it for ourselves. And so life is a pilgrimage to that realization of the fulfillment of being. And I wish you every success on reaching the sacred center of this pilgrimage place that is your own heart. Let's meditate.